Welcome, humans, to 699 per pound podcast. Thank you for tuning in to our limited series, Last Call, where we talk about the real impact of COVID 19 is having on Asians around the world, not just in the United States, but parts of China, Australia, so on and so forth. But yo, heads up, we're going to try something a little different for this episode. So let us know at the end uh, what you thought, if you didn't like it, and um, basically if you think shit was whack. Um, let us know in the DM, man. Do not comment on um, <laughs> Apple iTunes because all the comments have a direct effect on um, how we get our money. So uh, do not do that. But if you think it was righteous, make sure you do that. Make sure you comment in the Apple iTunes podcast section. So, uh, yeah, man. I mean, just overall, we love to hear from you guys. You know what I'm saying? We always love, enjoy reading your kind words. Um, you know, so, yeah, and JoJo always likes to be complimented you know what i'm saying um oh yes. yeah words of validation is high on my love languages so please keep them coming <laughs> yeah i just i just i just like products and money you know but that that's in my love language gifts gifts if you, if for you, sure if you send us a donation on anchor you know i love you even more awesome um so jakey's talking about how this episode's gonna be a little bit different we're experimenting um we're gonna talk about politics today it's the dinner party's least favorite uh, subject but before you guys tune out um, we really want you guys to hear us out and this organization out we're going to make it fun and we're going to keep it real and we really want you guys to take away um, something that you can use in your daily lives like for example we're going to talk about bystander training Um, more on that later but to have a proper discussion about this we're actually going to have legit legit people um, talk about um, politics in Asian America, John Yang, who is the president, and Marinta Etkubanyes, who is the director of strategic initiatives um, from Asian Americans Advancing Justice, AAJC. Yeah, nah, no doubt. That's that's uh, John Yang and uh, Marita. Um, they both blessed us with so much knowledge. So, so we hope knowledge. you guys um, enjoyed this episode as much as we did. So uh, let's get into it. Bong, bong. Hello, everyone. Please welcome John Yang to the show. Uh, thank you so much for being here and um, talking with us and chatting with us. I have to say, we were all looking at your bio and resume, and it pretty much belongs to an Asian mother's dream. It's very, very intimidating. You are an international lawyer. You worked under Obama, the president, the only president that our parents probably know about. Uh, you yourself are president of Insert Prestigious Asian American organization here. Um, you are, have so many accomplishments. Um, so on the surface, it's, it's again quite intimidating. But I'm sure it wasn't, um, you know, rainbows, and it wasn't an easy path to getting to where you are. I'm sure it took a lot of hard work and determination. Um, just reading about some of the articles that you were involved in, you're son of immigrants um, who experienced a lot of the same challenges that maybe some of our listeners or people who um, are underrepresented in the country also experience. So, could you walk us a little bit through your personal journey and how you got to AAJC? Sure, I would be happy to. First, uh, thank you very much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. And, and you're right, it's interesting because on one level, if you look at my quote-unquote resume, uh, I'm not a doctor, so I don't have that going for the, the Asian <laughs> family gene, so to speak. But I've, I've been very privileged to have a lot of professional successes. But one thing that I don't have on my bio, but that I actually do talk about quite a bit, is the fact that I was an undocumented immigrant. So my background is very much like all of our backgrounds with respect to being coming from an immigrant family. And at one point when we were growing up, I was still a child falling out of status. My parents came here on a work visa and that work visa expired and they had to make the decision of whether to go back to China or stay in the United States. And so I always reflect back on the courage that my parents had and decided to stay here because at that time I was nine years old. My brother might've been 10 years old. And they knew that for us to go back to China, 
when we had been raised here made no sense. And so that does carry with me in terms of the work that I do now and always remembering why I want to do the work that I do. No, nah, that's amazing. Um, I mean, you just like I, 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 you know, when I first came into this country, you know, I didn't have paperwork for myself either, and uh, through uh, various hardships, um, many years going to the Social Security office in the winter time to renew Social Security and get a new uh, uh workers permit. Like my family was able to get a green card before um my parent, you know, my brother and I had to go to college, so we were able to uh, benefit from student aid. But um, so I totally understand like the the struggles of um, the uncertainty that you kind of had to go through to being essentially a second class citizen in a country. Um, so that's you know I applaud you for that. Um, but uh, with that said, like w- you know I- I'm assuming like the sense of um, being an other in a country and really uh, persevering through all of that kind of drew you into uh working in the legal realm but is there anything else that kind of like um made you want to work in asian american justice well it started because i grew up in the midwest and when i grew up in the midwest at that time there are few asian americans literally i could count on my hand the number of asian americans in my graduating class it was a graduating class of 560 some kids and that always stuck with me. And let's let's be real, right? Growing up, I had my fair number of occasions where someone would call me chink or someone would call me a racial slur. And when you're a kid, you don't really know how to deal with it. Uh, you know, you you get into fights, uh, you get into arguments, but that always lived with me. And then obviously, the immigration experience lives with me. And so when I was thinking about what I wanted to do, uh, the idea of a legal background not necessarily becoming a lawyer, but just having a legal background seemed to make sense because it felt like it would open up opportunities and, and to allowing me to help others. I know that sounds grand, but that did go through my mind as a finding a way to help others. For sure. I mean, I think we talked to a lot of um, other guests who have gone through a similar experience. And sometimes um, Jakey and I reflect our own privilege because I grew up in Southern California where my high school was 70% Asian. Um, So I grew up in a very strong Asian American community. Obviously Queens and New York is a lot more diverse. It could improve, but a lot more diverse in Midwestern places. And I always get checked by some of my friends who say, you know, you don't know what it's like to be literally the only one like you're the only like asian kid um and speaking of like just when i was um googling you as i was because i was uh, preparing for this interview um like a good toast um i was looking up your name and on youtube it's the first video that shows up is who is john yang and it's a video about how one um, correspondent referred to andrew yang the presidential candidate <laughs> as John Yang. <laughs> and I think it kind of is like full circle of like, oh gosh, like this is still happening. <laughs> like we think we made a lot of progress. Man, we got an Asian guy like running for president, but he's still getting confused with all the Yangs in the world, like the few and the proud that are in this political process. Oh gosh. Um, but did you know about that, by the way? Did anyone ping you after this happened? Oh, a number of my friends pinged me. Oh gosh. And, uh, we, the good thing was we got a spike in the number of website hits that our, oh, our organization <laughs> but you know it's interesting because actually there's there is a pbs reported by the name of john yang too oh. so and he used yep, to work yep. in dc that's right so he and i we had lunch together we would put a reservation at the restaurant under john yang right <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but you're right it, it's interesting because it is something that a lot of us face uh and you try to do it with good humor and you do also have the oh there we go again and no mm-hmm. question about that yeah and so I think this all leads us to your work with AAJC. And you can you just give us a brief overview of what this organization is all about? Um, for our listeners, just a reminder, John is a president, so it's very official coming from him. But can you enlighten us? <laughs> sure. So the, the mission of our organization is to advance the civil and human rights of Asian Americans and to build and promote a fair and equitable society for all. What that really means is that we're a civil rights organization that is trying to protect Asian Americans and Mm -hmm. protecting Asian Americans principally in the areas of, say, immigration, voting rights, census, 
discrimination uh, in the media and telecom world uh, and how we do that. So we're not a membership organization. So how we do that is as an advocate. You know, if you think about the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, Thurgood Marshall's old uh, shop, so to speak, or MALDEF, the American Legal Defense and Educational Fund, those are our counterparts in those other communities. So we focus on advocacy on the Hill, and then we focus on filing lawsuits if we need to, Mm -hmm. and trying to affect change in that way. If you could contextualize, like, how does that trickle down to, like, me or JK? Like, all these, like, policy decisions that are happening. And because I think maybe day to day, I don't feel so connected to um, politics. Um, I don't feel seen sometimes. And I think it leads to my indifference. So could you maybe contextualize how like the work that AAJC is doing is really translating into things um, that we might not even be noticing because it's been executed so well? Sure. Uh, A couple of easy examples, perhaps. One is currently we're in the season for the census, and hopefully both of you have already responded to the census. What is important about the census for the Asian, <laughs> and if not, we'll get you materials on it. Uh, if you know, the, the poor purpose of the census is where, so that we know where everyone is and we know what communities we live in. The reason that the Costco where I live has rice and has kimchi at its store is because the census shows that there's a high number of Asian Americans in my community. You know, the reason that the bank branches in Chinatown always will have Asian-American tellers is because they recognize that in order to serve that demographic, you have to have people of a certain culture. So that's one example of sort of the advocacy that we do, making sure we have a fair and accurate census translate to actual services, right, for Mm -hmm. our community. If you think about another quick example is if you think about the fact that depending on where you live, you might get bilingual ballots. You know, a ballot that's written in Korean as well as in English. The reason that you have that is because of lawsuits that we or similar organizations have filed to ensure that those rights are protected. Wow, that really hit home for me in my heart because we were just talking about how hard it is to get kimchi in my part of Brooklyn. So I am rallying for all the Asians in Brooklyn to fill this out because we need kimchi in our neighborhood because I can't pay $45 to go to Queens as Jakey recommended. So, yeah, for wow. sure, for sure. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, all these mixed race couples, you know what I'm saying? Maybe uh, I, don't, I don't know how they would define themselves. Uh, hopefully it kind of has a, uh, has a, has some sort of a direct effect on, um, implementing an H Mart in the neighborhood somewhere, uh, mm-hmm. around Clinton Hill. But, uh, but with that said, uh, I mean, um, you know, uh, Jojo has already mentioned, um, uh, about like, you know, your name game being mistaken, um, for other John Yangs and also, uh, the prominent political figure that is Andrew Yang now, um, as an Asian American activist uh, who is in not only the social sphere, but also in a way like has a direct correlation in the political realm. Like what, what are some of your thoughts about like Andrew Yang and like um, how the, the pros and cons maybe, maybe, maybe you don't have to talk about the cons, but I, I guess like just the overall vibe of like his rise and what it meant for um, DC insiders like yourself. Well, I I think it's great to see Asian American presidential candidates that are hitting the mainstream. So that's whether that's Andrew Yang or we sometimes forget about Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, Tulsi Gabbard, Pacific Mm. Islander also get some uh, media attention as well. I think having that visibility in itself helps. Now, I'll be honest, uh, Andrew Yang, in my mind, at times missed the mark a little bit with respect to how he characterized his experience. And Mm. I will admit that at times I cringed at his references to Asian Americans being good at math or being all doctors and lawyers, Mm. because we know that that's not the only Asian American experience that's out there. And that feeds into that model minority stereotype that we worry about. Mm -hmm. But overall, I do think it's still a good thing because it helps us break through into that more mainstream notion of, of the fact that Asian Americans are just as much part of this fabric of America as anyone Yo. Andrew Yang is like the Panda Express. Oh, my God. Wait, oh, that's like shit. <laughs> Yo, oh, no. Andrew Yang is the Panda Express of Asian politicians. 
It is is the entryway, yo. That's what, yo. That should this just fucking blew my mind. This message has not been approved by John Yang. No, John Yang did not approve this message. This is the six ninety nine per pound take. John did not say this, all right. But I'm gonna say it right now. Andrew Yang is the Panda Express of Asians and politics and social Word. work. You know Actually, though, you're right. That's totally. Oh, oh man. man. Well, that simplifies oh, it. Oh man, that definitely <laughs> simplified it, man. But um. So, I mean, uh, but, you know, before the rise of Andrew, you know, like two years, the past two years has been, you've seen significant momentum in representation and entertainment and um, what's what Asian, like, you know, yeah, crazy rich Asians, a whole lot of movies, you know, the rise of my friend Aquafina, um, you know, and also like just, just a lot of um, uh, like, like the playing field, I wouldn't say it has gotten equal, but it has gotten uh it has there's given more, more POCs uh, opportunities right and does did that translate in the in your sector as well john I, I think it does i mean well number one is certainly part of our work actually does include media representation mm-hmm. and so it's interesting because I, I don't know if you guys followed the whole shane gillis episode with respect to saturday night live uh mm-hmm. shane gillis was a comedian that yeah, was yeah. going to be hired onto saturday night live and gotcha. when that was discovered by all of us, obviously we had grave concerns to to put yeah. it mildly about his hiring. Mm-hmm. And we raised it to the attention of NBC. And to their credit, they recognized mm-hmm. that that was not well done and would not be well received. And he did not serve on the show. So it is. I mean, I think we are getting to a new moment. And, and part of it is, I, if I could get a little bit political or historical, I think it is a matter of history, right? If you think about Asian Americans in the United States. On one level, we've been here for forever, right? Whether it's the Transcontinental Railroad, whether it's the Japanese Americans serving in World War II, you know, we could trace it all the way back to the Revolutionary War. But our significant numbers didn't come to the United States until the late 1960s, after immigration laws were reformed. So if you think about that group of people that are coming over, and then their children, it makes sense that in some ways, they are now hitting the mainstream, whether it is in politics, whether it is in media, whether it is any other field that we're talking about. So mm. I, I, I'm very positive about the trajectory of Asian Americans. Uh, yeah, certainly we're going to have bumps in the road probably more frequently than we would like. But, you know, if you just look at the demographic patterns, you know, there's no denying that that we're really breaking through. Got you. So you're basically saying it was, it was only a matter of time and a matter of perseverance for us to get to uh, where we are going. Um, but now with everything that's been happening with this COVID-19 situation, I mean, speaking of bumps in the road, uh, <laughs> hopefully this bump is not is a bump, not like a uh, not like a, a, a you know, not like a, a huge ditch that's just going <laughs> to bury all of us. Um you know, your organization, I'm assuming, has been at the forefront of um, dealing with hate crimes against uh, a lot of e- East Asians that are uh, facing this right now. Um, can you t- address our listeners, like tell us what's been going on, um, what's the state like? I mean, you know, and, um, you know, what your organization has been doing to uh, try to highlight this and try to combat this. Sure. Uh, And our organization, there's a couple of organizations that what we call track hate crimes or hate incidents. Uh, A number of us have websites where you could self-report hate incidents. We've had ours since 2016. Actually, even before then, we did what were called hate crime audits uh, for the Asian American community. So after 9-11, we did a pretty large report on that. You know, what we're doing right now is really lifting up these stories, right? First, is lifting up the stories to media so that media knows that this is real, this is happening. Because for some people that aren't in our community, the notion of Asian Americans being discriminated against, they don't quite get it. And then especially if you're talking about physical violence, they don't quite get it. So just talking about that, right? And actually having statistics to back that up. The other big thing that we're trying to do now is what we call bystander intervention training and really giving people tools to respond to hate incidents if they feel safe to do so. It's really, really awesome that you guys are engaging um, with people and the AJC is really getting involved. Um, 
I guess in your view, what are some of the challenges that you see um, as this organization grows or adapts to a new generation of Asian Americans um, who grew up with maybe the Andrew Yangs and who grew up with the you know crazy rich Asians, you know, with um, progress there affords new problems. So could you share some of your thoughts as you look into the future of your organization? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. One is definitely making sure that we stay connected and that there isn't a generational divide, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, certainly I see a lot of great social media that that younger Asian Americans are doing. And mm-hmm. I think that's wonderful. I mean, I actually think that, that if it's done right, it's a great symmetry to what we as, if you will, a quote, quote, legal organization does, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and having that grassroots feel, uh, I think, makes a lot of sense. The other thing that I do worry about is making sure that our communities uh, understand the struggles that, that everyone has had to undertake to get where we are, right? That it's not taken for granted, but then mm-hmm. also really... And this is one of the things that we're also trying to do in this current environment of, of, of anti-Asian hate is show alliance with other communities of color. Mm-hmm. Because, and again, I'll be very real here is Asian Americans don't haven't traditionally always been great allies to other communities of color. Mm-hmm. If you think about the relations between the African-Americans and Asian-American community, you think about the L.A. riots. You know, there's been some moments that it just has not worked well. Mm -hmm. And so trying to use this moment also to project a better model of solidarity so that we're not just simply asking other communities of color to aid us since we're the ones being attacked now, but also to show that we will stand by their side because they've faced the exact same sort of hate for just as long as we have, if not longer. No, I think that's a very valuable point. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a... I mean, I would say every community of color, um, they feel like they're the most uh, targeted. They feel like they're the most um, affected whenever there's any sort of crisis without. And uh, I mean, uh, pardon my French, but when shit is good, nobody mm. really looks for problems. You know, like they're they're too busy just focusing on their own well, without really reaching out. Um, or trying to understand other people's issues. And I think uh, this is... This is a good way for us to kind of process that, okay, like, imagine what some of our uh, brown and Muslim brothers had to go through, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, all those years post 9-11, you know, like, imagine uh, what some of the black folks have gone through all those years, like, targeted by the police, you know what I mean? And all these uh, all these other issues. So, I think it's a good way for a lot of Asian American folks to just kind of reflect as well. But just no, to kind of exactly add... Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, um, if you think about, like we talk about right now breathing or coughing while Asian, right? Mm. Uh, and sort of the stigma that is attached. Think about what the African-American community has gone through in terms of driving while black. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, and the physical danger that they place themselves into for the mere fact of driving, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, but, ju- but just to kind of add on to what Jojo was saying um, about um, trying to connect with the younger generation. Um, and this is, this is just coming straight from my personal um, experience. So, uh, when I was, I mean, I, and I'm, and I'm glad that you mentioned, um, the, the incident with Shane Gill, uh, Shane Gillis, where is it? Shane Gills, uh, Shane Gills, right. Uh, the, the comedian who got fired from Saturday night live, you know what I'm saying? Um, shout out to Lauren Michaels for actually approving that. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, uh, like I, I, I think a lot, you know, when that whole incident happened, a lot of people in the Asian American community were upset, but. I didn't know that your organization was involved in voicing that concern, you know? Um, and when, like, as I mentioned earlier, when shit is good, like nobody really cares, you know? And, um, mm. and this is just from my personal experience. So I got stopped and frisked when I was in high school and then um, I got like held up and, and uh, I got held up in a, um, in, a, in a precinct for like 12 hours. Um, and then they hit me with a pink slip, like for misdemeanor or whatever, and told me that like, I got to go pay for this. So, um, I got bruised up though. Like, cause I was, um, a, a resisting arrest because these undercover cops, they didn't have badge on them. And uh, long story short, um, the, the, the issue kind of got bigger than what it was. And then I got to sit down with, uh, uh John Liu, who was a councilman at the time, uh, a New York city politician councilman at the time. And, um, he took me to the DA's office. <laughs> 
and um to explain like, oh no this has gone too big yeah like i mean okay mind you like being stopped in frisk and getting hit by the cops yeah that's fucked up but i didn't think i was gonna have to go explain myself at the da's office you know like so but i didn't i didn't know anything about these asian representation organizations i didn't even know what john Liu's position was as a councilman at the time i i knew about him because i lived in flushing but I didn't know any of these, like who are these figures in these po- political positions mm-hmm. who are people in these uh, public offices advocating for Asian groups. And that's when I realized there was a huge disconnect between, uh, um, you know, young Asian Americans in the community and these advocacy groups or political figures just in general. Now, mm-hmm. um, do, w- why do you think is that? And, you know, because, of course, like, you know, the common thing that we hear from even other like racial groups is that, okay, the older folks, uh, the folks that tend to have more time on their hands, they, they're the ones that usually go out to vote. You know what I mean? But um, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's especially more noticeable in the Asian community that, you know, we are so career driven. Uh, we care, you know, we care about our careers. We care about making money. We care about, again, uh, advancing in our life, but we don't ever think about um, community issues as a group until something bad happens to us. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you're right, and and I don't have a good answer for that. Uh, and is there a disconnect between the community sometimes and organizations like mine? Yes, uh, certainly. I think all of us try to remain connected. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there, I will admit, there's part of me, like the Shane Gillis uh, episode being an example. I, I don't really care. And again, I'm just being real here. I, I don't really care if people don't know that we helped in doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't really care at a certain level that that you have kimchi, you know, uh, because of the census work that we're doing. But that because matters. The, no, not it, it, it does. <laughs> and, and certainly the people that mm-hmm. do fundraising in my organization would would be mad at me for saying it that way, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but, but I mean, all of these things matter. But for me, it's thinking about getting to that end result. And how do we also empower the people on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Because on one level, I, again, I very much appreciate my position of privilege, so to speak, that, that we are in a position that we can talk to members of Congress, that we have that sort of quote-unquote influence. But I'm very cognizant of the fact that that should belong more to the average person. It shouldn't belong to like this privileged class of people. How we make that happen, I don't, I'll admit, I don't have a good answer. Um, But uh, that's a tension I feel sometimes in not wanting to say, well, you know, if you have a problem, come to us, we'll help fix it. Because I want to make, get to a point that people also feel empowered to fix it themselves. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's that's the complexity of this. Is that I I very much believe in that grassroots movement movement and keeping that real, uh, and not wanting to take power away from them because of the organization that we have and the quote unquote connections that we have. For sure, I mean, as it sounds, just from speaking with you for the past uh, you know twenty minutes or so, I could tell that uh, you're you're a real public servant. And you're not looking for credit. You just want to get the job done. So, you know, you know, on behalf of the 699 per pound community, we applaud you for all the great work that you and your organization have been doing. Um, But with that said, uh, you know, what are some things that young Asian Americans uh, like ourselves and listeners that are tuning in can do in their everyday lives to advocate for themselves and also have uh, a political say? Yeah, just to add on to that, I think this is really important for our listeners to know because of the conversation of like, you know, what is being an American about, especially with, you know, Andrew Yang's recent op-ed where he provided his opinion a bit. You know, we want to know from a public servant, you know, who's been in this for a while, you know, your perspective and what that true meaning is. And again, you know, as Jake, said, having a political voice and what we can do in our everyday lives to advocate for our community. Yeah. And, and there I would say, if you have kids, serve on a PTA, serve on your local wow. government, like uh, volunteer boards, right? is the impact that you could have at that local level 
of being civically involved. Yeah, obviously you should vote. You got to register to vote and all of that. I mean, I'm not minimizing that in any way, right? But those local connections that you make, I think are so much more meaningful. And then from there, right, if you have the appetite, obviously you could go to the state level and then you go to the federal level. I mean, you could build that depending on your own comfort level, but never underestimate what meaningful change you can make just at that, that quote-unquote small local level because that can be impactful for your direct community. No, nah, that's that's real powerful stuff because um, – no, that that's I, I totally agree with you. So I have a small business in Flushing Queens and um before I got into that, I didn't care anything. I, I wasn't even cognizant that there was a uh community board meeting that was happening every Tuesday of the month. The second second week Tuesday of the month. And um mm-hmm. you know, Flushing, at least appearance wise, it's it's predominantly an Asian populated area. And then I went to the community board meeting for, for my district. Um, and I was, uh, I mean, there was a handful of Asian board members, but majority of them were non-Asians. Um, the, 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 the leader of the group, uh, was a non-Asian Jewish gentleman, you know, um, and nothing wrong with that, but they had discussions about everything from, uh, a new gym being open in the area to, uh, 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 stop sign that needs to be, uh, inserted to uh, potential future business plans, zoning laws, and all of that, you know, <laughs> all of these things were being discussed uh, in this by this group of people um, with occasional appearances from political candidates and so on and so forth. And um, you know, like I, I think, I think what you raise is a very good point that um, if you have a property or if you are a resident of an area, it is it is very important to get involved in these community board meetings because. So, sometimes like with with so some of these decisions could just be made uh uh right under your eyes without you even knowing uh by people that are not even members of the community that's uh utilizing these uh, uh you know opportunity utilizing these platforms to uh take advantage uh for mm-hmm. lack of a better term you know what i'm saying yeah and they're leaving it on the table those opportunities for sure Seriously, your words were so amazing and there's so much wisdom in all of this. And we really, really appreciate you coming on to our humble podcast. And we wanted to connect the dots. And Michael, I know he pursued AAJC because he saw that it just provides so many resources for our listeners that, again, like Jakey said, are right under their nose. Um, But maybe they didn't know about and had felt helpless in the past. So thank you for all your work and what you do. Um, But before we wrap all of this up, there are some questions that we ask all of our guests. And we wanted to ask, um, what is the most significant relationship in your life? And it doesn't have to be limited to, you know, family. Um, It could be metaphorical. I actually do think for me, it's family. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have two little kids, uh, 11 and 7 right now. And just thinking about the world that I want to try to create and making sure that they feel a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm proud of the fact that they, and I'll have them listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm proud of the fact that they understand some of these issues that, that you know, their father and mother work on. Another question that we ask all of our guests is, uh, what is your personal mantra? This sounds hokey, but leave the world a little bit better than when you found it. Mm. And uh, that applies to, but that applies just more generally. But then that, you know, again, we instill that in our kids. We like that. We like nature. We like going on hikes and we always make a point of picking up a little bit of trash along the way. Oh, wow. No, that's, that's great. No, that's, that's so, um, that sounds so simple, but it's, uh, it's so impactful as well. well leave the world the again, right? Little yeah, things leave. that we can do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Leave the world better, better than wh- where we found it. So picking up trash you know what I'm saying? Um, yo, man, speaking of trash, all these all these fools on my block that's not picking up after their dog shit. Oh my gosh. Yo, I hate y'all. Hate y'all. You guys need to yeah, I need to listen to John's mantra. Leave the world better, man. You know what I mean? Yo, oh man, I was I was about to start saying some wild stuff about their dogs and how ugly they look. You know what I'm saying? But uh but uh, not much left to everybody. Let's leave on a positive note, Jakey. <laughs> we're, we're gonna we're gonna leave on a positive note. But um, John, thank you so much. I mean, you dropped so many gems, and um, 
Uh, you really articulated on um, great things that your organization is doing and uh, how we should really just uh, rise to the occasion and um, support uh, more initiatives like what you and your team have been putting out there. Um, with that said, is there anything else that uh, uh, would you, you would like to add for our listeners to check out? Uh, I just want to thank you guys. You guys are also providing a very valuable service in getting this, the word out there, talking about these issues in a real way and connecting with audiences like that. So thank you. For sure. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, we're humbled by your praise. Amazing. Bong, bong. Please welcome Marita Ecubanias to the show. We were told you are one of the uh, one of the many people uh, responsible for all the righteous work Asian Americans advancing justice is doing during the time of coronavirus. Um, so before we, I mean, move forward, can you just kind of uh, quickly give our listeners a breakdown of who you are and um, just a little bit more insight on uh, Asian Americans advancing justice? What this organization is about? Sure. Um, first, thank you for having me. Um, you said my name is Marita Etcubanias. My title is Director of Strategic Initiatives with Asian Americans Advancing Justice, AAJC. So our office is based in Washington, D.C., and we are focused on federal policy advocacy on issues impacting the Asian American community. Um, so we have long been involved in advocacy on immigrants' rights, voting rights, the census, which is huge this year, and racial justice work generally, um, and that includes our anti-hate work, which is what we're here to talk about today. I mean, That's just that lot. sentence, <laughs> that, just that sentence alone, it's like, man, it just kind of made me wanted to like punch my chest and just put up a <laughs> fist for my people. You know what I mean? Like, yo, it just made me feel like wow, belligerent, but in a positive way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, nah, Jojo, but you're about to say something. Yeah, I mean, justice is such a um, amazing, loaded, and over-encompassing word, and you guys obviously cover so much of it, but we wanted to know during this kind of weird and unusual time, during this pandemic, what is AAJC specifically focused on right now? That is a great question. Um, let me back up a little bit and say mm -hmm. that, unfortunately, during the pandemic, our normal work hasn't ground to a halt, right? Mm -hmm. I mean... The country is still trying to carry out the census, which yeah. is vitally important now for the next 10 years. Um, so our team is still very busy on that. Um, a lot of our litigation work continues. Um, advocacy for immigrant rights. Um, but I will say that for me and for a number of members of our team, our response to COVID, our work to respond to COVID-19 has really taken up a lot of our time recently. Mm -hmm. And specifically, that is trying to support the community as more and more Asian Americans have been um, in have been experiencing harassment as a result of the coronavirus and COVID-19. Unfortunately, um, the virus has for many come to be equated with China, Chinese mm -hmm. Americans, and more broadly, Asian Americans, because mm -hmm. let's face it, people kind of lump us all together. Yeah. Um, and we've heard many reports of people, unfortunately, being attacked because they are seen as or thought to be carriers of the virus. They're perceived to have it. Um, and people, unfortunately, I know it's coming from fear, but they're acting out in ways that are really harmful to our community. Yeah. And you you told us about how, um, you know, you're hearing these um, charges and you're hearing these incidents. And I believe are some of them coming from the standagainsthatred.org, which is a website, I believe, that's run by you guys. And do you kind of see like spikes in um, data or um, things coming in? Has it kind of waxed and waned throughout the years? Absolutely, thank you for the question. Yes, so we are encouraging people to report to our site. As you said, it's standagainsthatred.org, which is an online reporting tool that the Asian Americans Advancing Justice Affiliation put together um, in response to the rising hate that we saw in the lead up to the 2016 election. Um, so we created this as a documentation tool and it's accessible in Chinese, Korean and Vietnamese. Um, and we encourage people to report both hate crimes and hate incidents because we 
recognize the importance of reporting and documenting both. So um, just to explain, so a hate crime is a traditional offense, a traditional crime, like assault, for example, with an added element of bias, right? So hate crimes are motivated by bias, prejudice, or personal hatred towards the actual or perceived characteristics of a victim, including race, national origin, religion, etc. Um, these are typically the types of incidents that law enforcement might act on, but we also recognize the harm caused by what we and others have labeled as hate incidents. So um, incidents that typically don't involve criminal offenses, um, but where the incident is perceived by the victim or others as being motivated by prejudice or hate. Mm -hmm. So an all too common example, unfortunately, is verbal abuse, yeah. which the reports that we've seen have been in the form of people, again, being blamed by the virus, being called corona, like that's being used as an epithet, mm -hmm. or told to take the virus, disease, go back to China, things like that. Yeah. Mm. So I, I got a quick question. So um, mm -hmm. I'm on I'm on um, social media quite heavily. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I cook like my cooking content and whatnot. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like I get a pretty positive response. But occasionally, and as of late, I've been getting a lot of comments like, yo, where's the bat? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Oh, man, I'm not trying to eat this bat soup, yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's cute. You know what I'm saying? But um, like, what? How, how can people report a hate crime on site? And also, like, how do you define what is considered a form of hate crime? Right. So mm -hmm. like there's another restaurant. Like I'll give you another example. Like there's a famous restaurant in New York City called Jeju. It's a noodle bar that's one of mm -hmm. Michelin star. It's in a it's in an affluent neighborhood. It's in West Village. And recently, <coughs> excuse me, there was a graffiti tag in front of the restaurant door saying like, yo, stop serving dogs. We're saying to that degree. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, some people could say like, oh, it's just a form of colloquial term. You know what I mean? For, but like, how can that be? Of course, we know it's a form of hate crime, but like, how can mm -hmm. that be? You know, how, what is like the barrier? Like, what is like the legality behind some of these things? You know what I'm saying? Sure. So I think in the case of the restaurant that you mentioned, I mean, that involves vandalism. So that is a crime, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if the business owner wanted to report that, I don't know if they would be able to find and prosecute the, the perpetrator. But that's, you know, it is something that is reportable and that law enforcement could act on because there's a crime. Now, um, sort of the jokes and the memes. I mean, as you said, that's troubling. And that's something we classify as a hate incident because it's not necessarily legally actionable. But, you know, we mm. encourage people to still report these things and document because it helps us to have numbers and stories to share with the media, as we're doing now, to, you know, to raise in our discussions with policymakers and others to provide examples to really shed light on the problem of discrimination impacting our communities. Um, you know, things that people might think are relatively small matters or light matters, um, you know, they can still be harmful. I mean, some of the points that we've been making in our advocacy is that words matter, right? Mm -hmm. Let me, for example, we know the president was calling this the Chinese virus. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of other elected officials and his defenders were saying that, you know, we are being too sensitive in objecting. We are being overly politically correct. Um, and, you know, our counter to that is that, again, words matter. We have um, experts have said that labeling diseases um, connected with a certain geographic region can stigmatize people from that area and cause real harm. And, you know, as we were getting these reports, we're able to point to the fact that this rhetoric is harming our communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thousand percent. Um so, I mean, just to add on to that, though, what information do you need to report a hate crime? Like, what, what, what's like the list of things, like uh, just a few things that if you could list out for our listeners? I mean, if you're reporting to law enforcement, they're going to want documentation, right? right. So if it's safe to do so, take pictures, mm. um, try to find witnesses to corroborate, try to document Um but for our purposes, for our website, where we're really seeking to document, not necessarily prosecute, we really want people's testimony about what happened to them. I mean, that's that's really what we're looking for. So it's not like we have an in-depth checklist of things that we need to capture. We really mm -hmm. just want to hear people's stories um, of how they feel they've been harmed um, and where we can, we'll try to offer support. 
Yeah. Right, right, right. And I think this is a great, um, I don't want to say alternative, but also a way for someone to feel like they're heard. Because as you're saying, there's like nuances to what's a crime versus an incident. But, you know, what happens to them feels really real. You know, how can you tell someone it's like, oh, well, that's not a crime, you know? Oh, like it almost diminishes it. So the fact that they can at least, you know, have this experience of sharing it with you guys in hopes that it'd be recorded and hopes that this could make a small, tiny difference is really powerful. Um, and I was curious, like, what are you going to do with these stories? And and I see on your website that you also have, like, you know, where did it happen? What city? Mm-hmm. You know, what part? Um, what are you guys going to do with some of these stories and the things that you're collecting? Sure. So, um as you see on another part of the website, we actually do share some of the stories that have been mm-hmm. reported to us. Um, we only share with the permission of the person that reported it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, when we share the stories publicly, like you see on our site, we remove identifying details um, because we definitely want to safeguard the confidentiality or, you know, we want to respect the privacy of the people that are reporting to us. But as you said, I think there is a lot of power in sharing stories so mm-hmm. that you know, when people are targeted, they realize it's not because of anything they may have done, right? Um, The person that's doing this is with a broad brush sort of targeting an entire community. And we want people to recognize that they're they're not alone. Um, And then in terms of what we do with the information, um, we are part of a larger collaborative called Communities Against Hate, um, which is led by the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. And all of the partners in this coalition have been sharing the reports they received to a larger database. Um, And as one example, the information that was collected over a certain time period between 2017 and 2018 was compiled in a report that was published um, at the beginning of last year called Hate Magnified that really delves into a lot of the patterns um, of what we'd been seeing reported to the different partners in this collaborative. Um, And then we've also been in communication with other organizations that have been documenting COVID-19 discrimination. Um, It's a widespread problem, and there are a number of people working on this, including OCA, um, South Asian Americans Leading Together, and two organizations um, that are behind a site called Stop AAPI Hate, um, the Asian Pacific Policy and Planning Council, and Chinese for Affirmative Action. And their site has received a a lot of reports um, since they launched in March, um, all specific mm. COVID-19 discrimination. So, so, so I, I just kind of wanted to, um, I mean, like, uh, for instance, like I've had luckily have been, have yet to, uh, experience anything blatant because it is a, a COVID-19 situation where somebody has ad- addressed me with racial slur or, um, has done anything like bodily harm to me. But there's obviously been many reports about about it the past like few months, um, especially targeted against Asian Americans or East Asians in, in general. Um, out of out of the many stories that you've heard thus far, like um, just so that some of our listeners could understand, like the the magnitude of what's been happening. What what, what are some memorable cases that you've heard that it was just like outlandishly ridiculous? where it just kind of like fuels your blood. You know what I mean? Like it's just, you know what I mean? Like it just makes you, makes you angry. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately a lot of it, um, you know, in addition to calling people the coronavirus and telling them to go back to where they came from. I mean, these are obvious, uh, often um, laced with racial slurs and curses. Um, you know, people have been threatened. A lot of the reports we've gotten are people who feel like they've been shunned. Um, because they're perceived to be sick or to have the virus. Um, um, A lot of this, unfortunately, well, a lot of this happens um, on the street, on public transportation. And um, we know that a lot of people in our community are scared, right? And let's face it, most of us are, a lot of us are locked down at home right now. So the people who are out and about are the essential workers. Um, We need to take care of them. They are doing they are working for us. Right. And, mm. and they feel safe. Um, Wait, so, so you're saying that a lot of these essential workers have been attacked or have been verbally or physically attacked? I mean, some of the reports we've received. Yes. Um, one by, was from a, by, by she, was on, she was on, she was on her way home from a shift at the hospital. 
Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. 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 Yeah, it must so, be such a slap yeah. in the face. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, no kidding. I mean, she was, yes. Spending all day, like, trying to save people and to feel isolated. That's that's so terrible. I, I wish I wish some of them um, try to attack uh, a police officer that's uh, out of uniform. You know what I mean? And I want to see what happens because as a result of that, you know, that'd be a funny sight. I, I wish that video goes viral. Oh my you know gosh. <laughs> well, um, so you talked a lot about like the partnership and the resources to help people who go through these situations, but maybe people who are not of Asian descent or who is that could maybe step in and help and intervene. Um, could you tell us about your partnership with Hollaback and the program that you guys created? Yes, um, we are. I mean, that's that's one of the bright spots in all of this mm-hmm. is that um, Hollaback is also part of the Community Against Hate Coalition that I referenced before. So we've mm-hmm. had a relationship with them for a number of years and they have um, one of their core programs has been this bystander intervention training where they um teach people tactics on how they can de-escalate situations and and try to help the person who is being harassed um, Mm -hmm. in the moment. Um, And they approached us um, a few weeks ago, um, requesting a partnership to see if we would help adapt their training specifically for this moment in time to address um, COVID-19 and um, uh, the fact that Asian Americans were being targeted. So we were happy to do that. Um, We, you know, shared a lot of information back and forth with them. We actually workshopped the training with um, our affiliates and a number of community leaders from across the country who gave us great feedback. Um, and we rolled out two training sessions last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly there's huge demand because we had more <laughs> than a thousand people register for each of the two training sessions. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. That sounds like a Zoom nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I won't lie. The first one was a little glitchy, um, uh-huh. but we, we definitely did much better on the second one. Also, Hollaback is such an amazing and appropriate name for this organization. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Very happy that we have been able to partner with them. Yeah, and I know our amazing producer got to take part in this training. Oh, um, shout out to Michael. Yes. Um, but could you maybe give us like the spark note version um, for those who couldn't attend the yeah. Zoom or maybe got locked out because of the bandwidth <laughs> issues? <laughs> yeah. Could you kind of walk us through what um, these amazing steps are? Sure. So, I mean, I think the core message is that we all play a role in creating safe spaces. Mm-hmm. Um by supporting one, one another when we're harassed or we witness harassment, right? Um, you know, the training, it, through the training, we, we share some um, background on Asian American history, try to provide greater context for the different forms of discrimination that people are experiencing. Um, but we also talk about the reasons, the common reasons why people might not act when they're witnessing harassment, right? Um, no one else is doing anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. Um, yeah. I'm afraid I'll make things worse. Um, yeah. All of those things, like they're very understandable responses. Um, and so this training is meant to help you focus on the person being targeted and give you a range of tools that you can use to deescalate and assist, right? So it's Hollaback uses the five Ds. Um, it will go through them quickly. The first is to distract exactly what it says. You take an indirect approach, you see someone being harassed, maybe instead of intervening directly and taking on the harasser, you go sit next to the person being harassed and just, you know, if it's on the bus, you're like, hey, I missed my stop, where are we? Um, Just try to distract. Um, The second is to delegate, Um, get help from someone else, try to find someone in a position of authority. It doesn't need to be a police officer. Um, If you're on public transportation, maybe it's one of the transit workers. Um, or even just someone else near you, um, mm-hmm. try to get them to help. Um, the third is delay. So this, it's a little bit, it's after, you know, the incident has passed, um, check in with the person that was harassed and try to make sure that they're okay. Um, if you're able to maybe even ask if they they want company to get to, get to where they're going, right? Make sure they feel safe. Um, the fourth, this is the direct, direct intervention. Um, after assessing your safety, if you feel comfortable, speak up, um, be firm and clear. 
Um, you know, for example, you can just, hey, that's appropriate. Leave that person alone. They're clearly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fifth is to document. So, you know, we've got our smartphones, we can video, we can take pictures. Um, but one of the main points here is that the documentation you capture, you should offer it to the person who is being harassed and let them decide what to do with it. Mm, okay. Now, that last point, I feel like it's uh, it's very uh, valuable, especially in this day and age where um, posting content online and things going viral without the consent of the actual subject is so common nowadays um i think it's a very important point to uh to emphasize because obviously there are there's there's probably like a lot of legal um concerns that actually get associated with that as well right like because you know you're shooting somebody um and you know putting that on public domain without consent like it's it's technically illegal no um, I think in some places it can be. The laws vary. Um, but I think, uh, you know, the main point there is that we really want to empower the person that was that was impacted to decide right. what of they course. want to do. Of course, of course, for sure. And uh, part of the noise in the background um, is just people clapping right now because it's 7 o'clock in the Eastern time <laughs> oh, like, awesome. uh, for essential workers. Oh. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it, it happens every, every, every day at 7 around my block. So uh, part of the noise That's in nice. the background. That's but, for um, the health workers and the and the the frontline folks, right? That is correct. That is correct. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, with that said, though, like, how can people find more information on a bystander in, uh, intervention? Like, where can people go? Mm-hmm. So Hollaback has great great resources on their website, and their website is actually ihollaback.org. Um, so I'm not mispronouncing it. There is no er. It's i h o l l a a c k. And then we also have a number of resources, including the link to Stand Against Hatred on our website. We have a dedicated page listing COVID-19 resources, and our website is advancingjustice-aajc.org. Got you. Got you. Awesome. I mean, I'm just seeing, even just clicking around the website, it's so easy to understand. Lots of examples. I'm definitely going to share this with my coworkers tomorrow on Slack or wherever I can. I think this is something that is so easy, but you guys done the job of connecting the dot for us. Um, I never thought about like, you know, going up to someone like, you know, pretending to be their friend, like that could definitely help people um, distract and kind of yeah. get everyone on board of just like, okay, we're doing this now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah awesome. I really think people just need, you know, every, we all sort of look around um, and hope that someone else will do something. So mm-hmm. hopefully this will empower people to be that someone. Yeah. Um, and um, I mean, I'm thrilled that we've trained so many people and because of the high demand, we've actually, um, we did another training today and we have nine more scheduled. So hopefully we'll be able to get a lot of people trained. That's awesome. For sure. For sure. Now that sounds righteous. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, also just to kind of emphasize uh, what, um, you know, what was mentioned earlier uh, is holla back, like holla back with the H O L L A holla back, like the fabulous record or the Gwen Stefani record. You know what I'm saying? So make sure that you spell that correctly is not with the E R holler. You know what I mean? Yeah. Make sure you Google it correctly. Totally different things. Very different things, right? So, um, now, nah, but so, so, um, I, I kind of just want to uh, also mention one thing, though. Like, you know, I, I'm I'm very outspoken. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I never really had any issue challenging authority or uh, speaking my mind in a public space. But uh, mm-hmm. as a culture, like Asian Americans, you know, we don't tend to um, speak up as much. Not not necessarily because we you know, we don't want to, it's just that, you know, as a society, as a community and as a culture, like it's just not as commonly ingrained in us to kind of, um, be the nail that sticks out. You know what I'm saying? So, um, what, 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 um, like in this time, like in these certain, like in these moments when, um, we are kind of being targeted, uh, due to the xenophobia, aside from like, the uh, the five points that you listed, like the five D's of bystander intervention, is there any other like things that you would want to mention? Um, just because you are, you know, you're in DC, you've mentioned you mentioned the census, you know, you're you're affiliated with AJC, all these things that 
are trying to advance Asian American stories and um, Asian American representation in America, like, um, you know, I just want to kind of hear your thoughts. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, do you do you want people to get more active in the political process? Like, is this just a like this whole crisis that is happening right now? Is this just another example of why we should be active in the first place? It's the latter, for sure. Um, this is not new, right? We know our communities have been experiencing discrimination. And yes, one way to address this is for more of us to get engaged, get active. Um, one, if you haven't filled out the census form, please do it. Um, two, we really need our communities to make sure we get out and vote in November. You know, if you don't I, I, like- I just, wanna, I, just wanna, I just want you to add on to that. Like, why should people vote? Why should, no, not vote, but why should people fill out the census forms? Because- you know, I think it's a very important narrative, not only in the Asian community, but in people of color, any all like POC communities like they just don't understand the importance what census represents. So, Because essentially you're like giving your information to the government and um, it, it's a little bit scary to for some people. It's like, OK, why do you want to know how many people live in my live in my home? And, you know, some of these people might be undocumented. You know what I'm saying? But but no, please sure. tell us why it's important to, sure. to fill this out. I mean, the census is the data that the government uses to determine how they're going to allocate resources, where schools are going to go, how much congressional representation your state has, where, how the lines are drawn. Um, so there's so much that flows from the census data. It's, it's vital that we are all counted, especially, as you noted, underserved communities that are often overlooked. Like, we really need to make sure we are all counted. Um, and as for folks that are undocumented, you know, at one point there were attempts to add a citizenship question to the census. Um, advocates, including my organization, um, fought against that. We even took it to court. Um, Ooh, you know, that's right. Yeah, thanks. We managed to keep the question off the 2020 census. Um, and there are there are a lot of rules in place governing how that information can be used. So I would just urge people to recognize that it's, it's vitally important that we're all counted um, and that there are safeguards in how the government is able to use um, census data. Um, and of course, data geek that I am, we really need good data so that we can, um, we have the information we need to make good policy. Um, so for all those reasons, particip participating in the census is, is, is so important. Sounds amazing. And um, just, just, for, just to kind of go back into the point about, you know, why people should participate in, uh, in the political and social process, like if you could just add on to that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I really like the phrase, vote your values. Um, if you don't like what you're seeing in the world right now, and there's so much wrong, um, it, it's as voters, we can make sure that we have leaders that, that um, align with our values and that we think we can count on to do the right thing. Um, leaders that we can count on to be effective um, and accountable to our communities and our needs. So, um, I mean, that's that's the nutshell version of why everyone needs to get out and vote. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, you actually jumped the gun here because one of our wrap up questions is um, what's your personal mantra? But what your values is like a hard one to beat. So thank you for all of this information and all of your insights. Um, but just to make sure, do you have a personal mantra that is um, other than vote your values you would love to impart to our audience? <laughs> um. I mean, hey, I hadn't thought of that as mine, but I do like it. I mm. mean, you know, the, the stuff they say about, you know, you learn a lot of important life lessons when you're very young. I would say that, you know, my personal mar mantra is when you learn, like when you're a little kid, the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you'd have done un unto you. Mm -hmm. um, not in a transactional way, but like, you know, as you go through the world, you should treat others as you'd want to be treated. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And, um, our second question that we always ask our guests mm -hmm. is, uh, what's the most significant relationship in your life? Oh, I mean, I'd have to say my parents. Um, they've always been incredibly supportive, um, if perhaps not entirely understanding of, of how they ended up with me. Um, but <laughs> What? They won the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> but no, definitely my parents. I'm incredibly grateful to them. Mm, sounds righteous. Um Nah, but that's that's great. So, I mean, with that said, um, is there anything else that you would like to add uh, before we wrap this up? One resource that I did want to highlight that I didn't mention, mm -hmm. um, you know, in addition to standing up our tracker to capture stories and document hate, 
We also recognize that it's important to offer resources to folks, right? Not just the bystander training, but direct assistance. So mm-hmm. um, we're very fortunate to have a partnership with the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, which operates the Stop Hate Project. Um, and their project includes a hotline. It's one eight four four nine no hate um, that people can call to get assistance with legal and social services. Um, and Lawyers Committee Network is nationwide. So um, our hope is that they would even be able to um, assist people who are calling for help, you know, in places where maybe our communities aren't aren't that well represented. Got you. Got you. Uh, great. No, that's 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 amazing. Uh, Jojo, is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, no, other than a huge thank you once again. Um, justice. I love that word. <laughs> and you guys are really doing so much. And I, you know, it seemed like such a huge organization to me. And you guys really cover so many of the bases. And I'm so happy that I know about this organization now. And that when someone comes up and asks me, like, what can I do? I can direct them to something and have them... Um, get to it. So thank you so much again for coming to the podcast. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Another huge thanks to John Yang and Marita at Cubanes uh, for joining us and enlightening us with all the awesome information and educating us on everything that AAJC is doing for our community. You can find out more about them at their website, which is www.advancingjustice-aajc.org. You can find them on Twitter at AAAJ underscore AAJC on Twitter. Lots of A's, triple A's, 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 you guys. A whole lot of A's, man. A whole lot of A's. Honestly, it's probably easy to um, look up John Yang, but who knows, maybe Andrew Yang would pop up. So maybe just stick to the triple A-J. But most importantly, and this one's important, report a hate crime or incident. You guys know the difference now at www.standagainsthatred.org. We'll leave all of this in the description. And yeah. For sure, for sure. I mean... You know, A A A A A A A J J J A J A A A J has nothing to do with the American Automobile Association by any means. You know what I'm saying? Oh man, you know we always talk about. I mean, yo, no shots, but yo, man, these Asian organizations—they really need to fucking rebrand their names, yo. Too many A's and too many Asian Americans. You know what I'm saying? But I mean, with that said, though, I mean six ninety nine per pound. Speaking of SEO, our shit fucking strength stands mm-hmm. brolic. If you type in $6.99 per pound on Google, we the only ones that pop up. Or it's like a mathematic equation, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Straight up and down. Uh, but uh, yeah, remember you can stream this podcast on all major uh, streaming platforms. If you want to show some love, hit the subscribe button right now. Most importantly, rate and share this podcast with your friends. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Each one, teach one. Follow us at $6.99 per pound on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter for the latest. Lastly, you can support our hard work, especially shout out to our uh, team members, man. Not just Jojo and I, you know what I mean? Shout out to Michael. Shout out to Lily. Shout out hey. to uh, Nicole. Shout out to Marcus. You know what I mean? Shout out yeah. to Yellen. You know what I'm saying? The whole foundation. Um, you know, thank you guys for holding us down. So uh, you can support all of us by um, buying us some coffee, man, at coffee.com slash 699 per pound or set up a monthly donation at anchor.fm 699 per pound slash support. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, any donation counts, man. It could be a dollar or it could be five dollars or it could be five hundred dollars. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, we're not we're not doing only fans out here. You naughty motherfuckers. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Peace, peace, peace. Hey, yo, it's 699 per pound podcast.